It's all good. But it's good to see everyone. Start a time in prayer. And let's uh, ask God's blessing on it. Father, we thank you for uh, just your love. We thank you, God, for your patience. We thank you that you're a good father to us and that you are interested in teaching us and interested in us learning your ways. And so we thank you for your Holy Spirit who is our teacher. And we ask that he would speak tonight. We ask that he would have his way. Pray, God, that we'd be open to what you want to say and that we'd receive your word tonight with a real joy. Uh, if we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If, uh, if you have a Bible, there's some available here if you need one. Uh, if you have one or you need one, grab one. We're going to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. And uh, we are looking at a passage in the story, you know, the account, when David meets up with Goliath. What do you know about this account? What do you know about David and Goliath? All right, good, good summary there. Uh, the Philistines uh, were in at war with uh, the the people of Israel, and so they had lined up their armies, and a deal was struck where the Philistines came out, and at least they were trying to strike a deal where the Philistines sent out their best warrior. And they said, we'll send out our best warrior, you send out your best warrior, and we'll have them fight, and whoever wins, then that's who wins the war. That's who's going to win the what's going on here. And it kind of makes sense in a way, if you're willing to put all your, to, to put all your hope into one person, in a sense, because not everyone has to die. Or there's no big loss of life. There's a contest that takes place, and then that's the end of it in that sense. And so the Philistines pushed this because they had a champion that was a giant, a literally a giant. And so because they had a giant of a man who was their champion, they felt confident in sending him out every day and challenging Israel and saying, Send out your best guy, and let's settle this right now. And so Goliath would go out every day, and he would taunt the, the armies of Israel, and he would say what he needed to say, and no one went out to fight him. And so it just happened day after day after day with this giant of a man going out and taunting this whole army, a whole army, and no one would fight him. And so as the account goes on, uh, David is sent on an errand from home for his brothers to bring him some food. And while he was there bringing him some food, uh, he hears this Philistine taunting the armies. And so he says, well, I'll go fight him. And that was it. And so then the rest of the story is everyone trying to help him. Uh, the king Saul tried to give him his armor. Uh, they, they tried to outfit him with some kind of a sword and all the rest of those kind of things, but they didn't fit him. Because these were the 
the armor of Saul was a grown man, and he was a tall man, and that didn't fit David. And the, the sword didn't fit him, and the things that they tried to give him didn't fit him. And so what he had was, is he had a slingshot, which he was used to using, and he went and got some stones, and he went out that way. Now, what do we know about David as far as his experience? What was his experiences? What did he do? Shepherd. He was a shepherd. All right, so he tended sheep. That was what he did. That's not exactly a a really awesome resume to go out and fight a giant. It's just not. That is not the resume of a warrior. That's not the resume of someone who is a a soldier in an army that's going to go out in one-to-one combat with a seasoned soldier, a seasoned warrior. But we know when he's confronted or when he goes and he, he speaks to Goliath, he says something to him and he gives him a little bit of something uh, when he when he's talking to the, the Saul and he's talking to the people of Israel and when he's talking to Goliath, you see something in him though that he has a confidence. And, and it's the verses there, we used to sing a song. Uh, it's on one of our CDs. It talks about what David had to say about it. Now he's confident, and the reason he's confident, what was his experience, other experiences as a shepherd? What had he done? Killed a bear and a lion. He killed a bear and a lion. We don't know how he killed the bear and the lion, but he killed him. And uh, those are pretty fierce beasts. And uh, that, that's saying something about who David was. I would think most shepherds would run from a bear and or a lion, but he didn't. So that tells us something about him. It tells us something about his personality. It tells us something about who he is. So, okay, so 1 Samuel 17, 42. Uh, this, is, this is Goliath's reaction to seeing David. Somebody want to read that? He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. All right, so his reaction to him is he looked him over. David comes up, he's confident. Goliath looks him over, and it says what he sees in him, in in those verses. It says that he saw he was young, he saw he was tan, he saw he was handsome, and he hated him. He hated him. And that's what we know. That was his reaction to David. He saw he was young, tan, handsome, and he hated him. He's going to give you a word here. The presumptions of fools destroy them. And I could give you a few examples from the scriptures, but you really don't have to look beyond your own life to see that. That the presumptions of fools 
destroy them. What does it mean to presume? To form an idea in your head before you get the facts? Yeah. Yeah. You have incomplete data most of the time. You think you know something. You think you understand something. You think you've got something in your mind that is true. And so you hold on to that. Well, that can bring destruction into our lives. When we start making too many inductive leaps in our life, you know what an inductive leap is? It's like the weatherman. All right? And how often is he right around here? Maybe half the time? Yeah. Yeah, that's an inductive leap. It's kind of like when we, you can think of it as uh, going, use, going on the percentages. Or looking at things that way. Or you could think about it uh, in the sense of statistics. Or you, could, you know, There's a lot of different ways you could see inductive leaps. But the idea is, is that we, we've seen something happen a number of times, so we're going to make the leap that it's going to happen again, which may or may not be the case. And part of the problem with that, and part of the problem of making those kind of leaps in our life, although some are necessary. You know, in other words... Like, we, we're going to make an inductive leap. We believe that tomorrow when we wake up, gravity is still going to be in effect, right? Or we believe that if we jump off of a building, we're going to fall and get hurt. Depending on how high, how high the building is, we may be killed. So that may stop us from jumping off a building. That may protect us, right? And so making certain leaps like that can be positive in our life. It could be necessary in our life. We make certain assumptions when we're driving. There are certain things that we presume are going to happen when we're driving. And, and it may or may not be true. Okay? And the longer you drive, the more you recognize. I mean, if I'm coming up to a, a traffic light, you tell me what I should presume here. There's a green arrow my way, a green arrow, and I'm turning left. What should I presume at that green arrow? Presume that it's safe. Okay, so I have a green light specifically on that traffic signal that's been put there to ensure that I can turn left safely. And that oncoming traffic, the traffic that I would normally have to wait for, will stop because they've got a red light on their side of the traffic signal, and therefore, even though there might be a car coming, I can take a left safely because I have a reasonable assurance that I have a green arrow. Now, I can see the green arrow, and so I have a reasonable assurance I can turn. Well, that's how my last car was totaled. Well, not my last car. My next to the last car was totaled. Because I had a green arrow and I made the assumption I could turn and a car plowed into me going 50 miles an hour. So start applying that to other things. Now, I guarantee you when I turn it, that arrow now, and a car's coming fast down the road, I'm going to sit there. And I do. And I wait to make sure they're actually stopping. And I don't care if the person behind me honks their horn. I don't care if they're getting all upset. I don't even care if they want to pull out to the right of me and go around me to take the left because I won't do it. Don't care. 
Don't care. Because the front end of my car was knocked off my car. Right? And God miraculously kept me from getting hurt. But I'm going to be a little more careful the next time. Because I've already seen that making that assumption, presuming that someone is going to stop because they have a red light, and that light may be detrimental to my health and to my vehicle. I learned something. So we begin to learn things in life. Some of them are good things, some of them aren't so good things. We begin to learn things. And so when I make the statement that the presumptions of fools destroy them, you can you can use that to describe whatever situation. You can use that to describe a coworker. You can use that to describe somebody, a friend that you had in high school. You can use that to describe someone that you know right now that you're a colleague with. And But more importantly, we need to look at that in ourselves. And, and and even though it can be applied to other people, even though you know there's people all around us that we know that are making mistakes, that we know are doing things that are detrimental to themselves, that we know that are making bad decisions, first and foremost, as we're looking at this, it's got to be us. It's got to be us. And so think about Goliath. He saw David. What's he thinking? This guy is going to grow up to be the greatest king that this region of the world has ever seen? You don't think he's thinking that, do you? No. Because you, you think about, he had, see, the problem with presumptions is a lot of times they're fed by bad expectations. So in other words, Goliath is looking at this, this kid, looking at this young man, and he had certain expectations. Now, who did, who did, who did he expect to come out and fight him? And this is a kind of a trick question. A big, a, a big veteran, uh, uh, either, either a veteran soldier or maybe even the king. Yeah, himself. All right, think about that. Who did Goliath expect to come out to fight him? Someone like himself. That's who he was looking for. And so when this kid came out, not even in armor, not carrying a sword, not having anything, and he came out. So it just busted his whole expectation. In other words, he, he knew in his mind, he knew in his heart that there was somebody like him, maybe not exactly like him, maybe not as tall as him, maybe not as big as him, but somebody, at least in the same class, was going to come out, at least with the same experience, was going to come out and was going to fight him. But David came out instead. Not what he expected. Had to be a little ego too, because he's like, "This is what they said out." He even says it. Right he here. says it. He like says that. A dog or something. Is that what he right. He expected a worthy opponent. He didn't expect a boy. He didn't expect a young man to come out, not even in armor. A young man, obviously, who who hadn't had any experience in in battle. How do you know that? Well, he didn't look the part. You see, all the things that I described about him, he's tan, he's handsome, he's young. They all tell you something about him. And the way that Goliath saw him was that this is somebody unworthy to fight me. I can't believe they're sending this kid out here. So he's not me, 
He's unworthy to fight me. And he was looking for somebody that he could at least get a little bit of glory off of when he beat him. There's no glory in beating up kids. Right? None. Especially, you know, pretty men. All right? There's no glory in that. (laughs) All right? And so you got a big warrior, a giant of a man, waiting for somebody at least that he could get a little bit of glory off of. In other words, if it was King Saul, that would be glory. He'd kill the king. If it was a great warrior, say it was the king's best soldier, at least there's a little bit of glory in that. Someone that has some experience, someone that that is at least a, a fighter, a warrior. At least there would be something to be gained from it. And, and you think about it, here comes David. There's a no-win situation. What's he going to do, just kill this kid? That's it? Yeah, I mean, it was friends back in the Philistine army. Well, way to go. You really, you really beat his butt, you know? A novice, someone without even any weapons. Ah, just a, there's no win on that. So his expectations fueled his presumptions. And we need to be really careful with our expectations. Especially that first one. When we expect people to be like us. And what do I mean by that? Well, that can mean a lot of different things. It can mean, like, let's say that you're a really honest person. Then you probably have an expectation that people are going to be really honest. Because we expect people to be like us. Or you may be someone that you're a hard worker. And so you expect other people to be a hard worker. Now let's take it to the other side of that. You may be someone that you say one thing and do another. All right? That might be you. And so you have a built-in expectation, at least a lot of times, that people are going to do that to you and you really can't trust them. So there's a positive side and a negative side to that. There's a there's an up and there's a down, but they're both really dangerous because they fuel presumptions on our part. They fuel judgments on our part. They fuel bad ways of seeing things, bad ways of seeing the world that that we don't want to feed into. And so expectations can be powerful when they're applied to faith. And we begin to let God use our expectations toward things that he's revealed, things that he's said, things that he's done, thinking back to how he's come through in all these different situations, letting him build a faith and expectation on our part that way. That can be a powerful thing in our life. But the stuff that we make up is what I'm really talking about. The stuff that we have where we're looking at ourselves or we're we're trying to figure out other people based on us. That first thing I said about Goliath, seeing David, expecting himself, he discounted him completely. It it made him angry. Made him angry. They didn't send out him. They didn't send out somebody like him. And that really irritated him.
see, he was young. And, and so being that young, he obviously didn't have experience. He didn't look like a warrior. And from uh, the descriptions we have of David, he didn't look like a warrior. I mean, this description here, the Goliath that we see in Goliath looking him over, and it says that he looked him over. And that's what he saw. He saw a young man who didn't look like a warrior, someone obviously who didn't have battle experience. He was insulted by that. You're going to send this boy out here who doesn't even know how to fight. Am I a dog? I mean, the reality of it was people of Israel did consider the Philistines dogs. But he didn't mean it that way. So he was insulted by that. It says he was tan. So he was not of the warrior class because he was so young, but he wasn't even of noble blood. He was obviously someone that worked outside for a living. Princes didn't do that. So he wasn't a prince. He wasn't a king, wasn't a noble. He was someone who worked out in a field, whether he was a farmer or shepherd or whatever. I'm sure Goliath didn't care. But he was obviously somebody that worked for a living. So he wasn't he couldn't even be he couldn't even be understood to be somebody of importance. He was nobody. What else did he see? He was handsome. Young, inexperienced, untried in battle, undamaged, unscarred. What does it tell you when you're that handsome? The word there could also mean in a, is the word fair. All right, which in some cases, when it's not describing a man, could be mean pretty. That's why I said that earlier. And there are pretty men, you know, if you if you think about it. You think about a fair man, like a pretty man, and who? Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> He's all yours in France. I mean, you can have him. <laughs> but there's other. I mean, you know, you think about like, um, like Bradley Cooper. All right, say Bradley Cooper 10 years ago when he was younger. Huh? He's a pretty man, right? And I mean, there are there's different people like that, like like that uh, Channing Tatum guy. Yeah. All right. I'm not going to go any further than this. I'm just saying. Yeah, well. So what I'm getting at... So what I'm getting at is that, so so Goliath, you think about Goliath probably wasn't a pretty man. All right? Let's say that. We don't know what he looked like, but I mean, he'd been in battles. He, he's part of the army. He had been in lots of fights. He had been in those kind of situations. I would imagine that here's a guy who's older probably had a beard or something, probably had some scars on him, whatever. All right, that just happens. And that's part of that being a warrior. And so here he is, he's this, and here's David, he's not that, not not what Goliath was. And so again, he is insulted 
In fact, you, you think about it, David was young. And so he probably didn't even have his man strength yet. And that's a real thing, by the way. Man strength. That's true. Right? And, and I mean, I can attest to that as far as even, you know, as I got older. I mean, I lifted weights when I was in high school. I was pretty strong. And as I went through college, I reached a certain point in college where I began to take on my man strength, my man weight. And I became, I don't know, I wouldn't know by what factor I became stronger, but I became a lot stronger. Even though I had been lifting weights the whole time. Even though I had been working out the whole time. But my hands became stronger, my, my arms became stronger, my legs became stronger, I just became stronger. And things that I had struggled with when I was younger, even though I was in shape and I was working on it, became a lot easier to me. David hadn't reached that point yet. He hadn't reached that point in maturity yet. And so you got a grown man standing there, ready to fight him, and he hasn't even he didn't even have man strength yet. Now I wouldn't imagine he was very buff. I mean, he's working out, you know, in the field with uh, sheep. And so he was a young man. And so I thought it was kind of interesting that he hated him. He hated him. And they used that word, too. And, and that's really the, the point in this verse that I, I want to get to with us, is that he hated him. He didn't even know him, did he? There's no way he would have known who David was. No way. Had no idea who this young man was. Had no idea about anything about his family where he came from, what he was even doing there. He knew that he just came out and he accepted the challenge. That's all he knew. But he hated him based on how he looked. And of course, we're talking about other reasons why. They had to do with expectations. Had to do with presumptions. Had to do with a lot of things going on in David's life. We talked about those, but he hated him. And the reasons were given was that he saw, he looked him over, he made certain observations, certain assumptions, certain presumptions about him based on his expectations and hated him. That's a strong, strong word. Hated him. Somebody look up Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Why does this have to do with pride? Yeah, based on what though? Right. Based on his presumptions, based on his expectations not being met, and the presumptions that followed, he became prideful. And so I refer back to the statement I made at the beginning, the presumptions of fools destroy them. And this is a real problem. This is a real issue among God's people. Is that we presume when our expectations aren't met. We just make a a presumption 
we 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 make up our minds however you want to think about that and that's the end of it but we have to understand that when we do that we're setting ourselves up for destruction we're setting ourselves up to be hurt we're setting ourselves up for defeat we're setting ourselves up to fail at what we're going to do we're setting ourselves up for a lot of things that we just don't want any part of and we have to recognize it when it's happening in order to stop it. Now, Goliath wasn't going to figure this out, okay? He, this, this is way past him. Because you know what happened with Goliath, right? Yeah, he, it, yeah, David wound up, hit him in the forehead with a rock. It sunk into his skull. He fell forward, and then David went over, took his own sword, the giant's own sword, and cut his head off with it. Yeah. And David didn't meet any expectation that Goliath had. Not one. In fact, he was so far from what he expected, he angered him and he hated him. That pride led to his destruction. So what in our lives, what can we do about it? What can you do about it? What can I do about it? You know, because God does things, and it's more than I like to really think about it, but he does things that are things in ways that we didn't expect. And I've seen that more than once. I've seen that a lot of times in my life, how God does something that I didn't expect. It could be timing. How many times we think God's going to do something and it doesn't happen, but then it happens, you know, some other time later. How many times does we think, oh, God's going to come through with this, A, but he actually comes through B over here that we never even thought of, and that's how he's going to meet that need or whatever it is we're looking for. How many times do we see that that the that, that things that we think are going to happen, ways that we think are going to happen, the way people are going to be promoted or pe- the way people aren't going to be promoted, whatever it is, we have all these thoughts in our head and they just don't come to pass. The first reaction we have on that is, well, then, then God's uh, mean or something for a lot of people. You know, you ask most people, why are you bitter against God? You know why they're bitter against God? He didn't do what they told him to do. He didn't do it. Well, my mom was sick and I prayed and she died anyway. So I hate God. Or my, you know, I expected that God was going to come through and he was going to meet whatever this need was in my life and he didn't meet it and I didn't get that need met. And so I don't have anything to do with it. I don't ask him for anything else. I mean, that's a common story. That is a common story in people's lives. And and, and usually it's the people that are the most angry against God is that he just did not meet their expectation. They had an expectation that he was going to do something a certain way. They made a presumption on that. And when he didn't meet their expectation, it led to the destruction of their faith. And some of these people were believers. But they had in their heart, they had in their mind one thing. 
and it didn't happen. And so it was too much and they're just going to walk away. We need to be really careful. We need to be really careful with our expectations. We need to be really careful about putting God in some self-made box that he has to do this or he has to do it this way or it needs to look like this because it's in those moments that we're in danger just being a fool God does what he does I was just reading in Isaiah where he sent where God sent Isaiah to the king to tell him he was going to die he said, uh, it's Hezekiah. He says, go to Hezekiah and tell him he's going to die, get his affairs in order, and he's going to pass on. And, and Hezekiah, so he was faithful to do that, and Hezekiah uh, cried out to the Lord and began to repent. And as Isaiah was leaving the palace, God appeared to him again, or spoke to him again, and he said, okay, I heard Hezekiah just prayed. I heard his prayer. And I go tell him he's going to live another 15 years. Now, Isaiah, if he was a certain type of person, couldn't he have easily said, well, God doesn't change his mind like that. I'm not going to go and tell him that. I'm going to look like an idiot if I go back there and I say something completely different than what I just said. Or who's going to believe me anymore? Or whatever it is that would be in his mind. Do you kind of understand what I'm saying? He didn't expect that as he was going to go tell the king this word, that as he was walking away from giving the word, that God was going to change it. He didn't expect that. In fact, he may have had somewhat of an expectation that that wouldn't happen or whatever. Or maybe his mind was just completely open about it. And he was just saying, I just want to hear what God says and do what he wants me to do. Maybe. But when it happened and when God said, go back and tell him he's going to live another 15 years, he went back and he told him he was going to live another 15 years. And he did live another 15 years. And he gave him a word on how to treat what was wrong with him. And they treated it and he was healed and he lived another 15 years. But he could have totally missed that. It could have changed the course of the history of Israel. If he had decided not to listen to that, if he had already made up his mind, if he had already made certain presumptions, assumptions about how God works, and this is the only way that he can work, and this is how it's going to be, and so I'm not even going to listen to that. If he made those kind of assumptions, he made those kind of presumptions, he wouldn't have even been open to God sending him back, much less seeing Hezekiah the king saved, seeing him healed, and whatever else he did for the next 15 years. He would have missed that. They would have all missed that totally. If they had said, nope, it's got to be this way. Got to be. And I know some of us have in our minds, we, we're more comfortable when things are like that. We want it to be like that all the time. And I, and I know what you, I love structure. I do in certain ways. I like things stru- structured in certain ways. I like things predictable in certain ways. But, but when it comes to God, I don't know how you do that. I have no idea. I have no idea how to how to figure him out to that point that he just becomes so predictable that you know what he's going to do next. I have no idea. 
I've not seen that. I've not experienced that. And the churches that try to do that die. They just die. People who try to do that die spiritually. That's what happens. God desires us to have a a living and a fresh relationship with him. He desires us to experience him new all the time. He desires us that that we see something new, that we hear something new, that we, we do something different maybe than what we've done before. He desires that out of us. That's only going to happen one way, really. And that is we are open to that and we are willing to live that way. Goliath wasn't. He made his decision. He had seen it too many times. He knew what the outcome was going to be. And in Goliath's mind, you think about this, in his mind, what was he going to do? He was going to walk over and he was going to kill that boy. That's what was going to happen. And I kind of wonder what his last thoughts were. Al, this hurts. I don't know. But I wonder what his last thoughts were. So, we don't want to put ourselves in that position. I mean, have you ever thought about it, that that you're kind of in that position of Goliath? I mean, we never identify with that guy, do we? Have you ever identified with Goliath before? I want you to a little bit tonight. I really want you to identify with Goliath a little bit and put yourself in that position in this way, that your presumptions, that your expectations are killing you. All right? And see what God might do to set you free from that. Okay, are you thinking along with me? Are you kind of following what I'm saying about this? So what are some ways we can do this? And this, this is where I want to talk to you about. A lot of times we talk about pride, and we look at pride as being a thing. And it is, in a sense. And I think God can deliver us from pride. I think God can cleanse us from pride. And I think it's something that we need to watch for in our life. But what really comes before that? What really causes that to happen in our life? Causes pride or the destruction of pride? Pride. Where does it come from? And I want you to use this story for a second. And as one way that pride creeps up into our life. Think about Goliath. Where did his pride come from? Experience. Experience. Right. And was his experience true or false? True. Up to that moment, it was true. It's true. So in other words, in other words, well, there's, there's, this is where I'm going to get. Had he really lived? Yeah. Had he been in a lot of battles? Yep. Had he been in a lot of single combat? As far as we know, yeah. Had he won every single combat? He's still alive, right? Yep. Okay. All right. So so there's some truth in that. Does that mean that what I just said, and understand, you understand the inductive process here? It's just the way it's happened this time, this time, this time, this time, this time, this time, and this time. Can we or should we always Now, I'm not talking about the useful stuff. I'm not talking about, like, gravity or whatever. But should we always, always 
Just make that inductive leap without thinking about it. No. And and I'm going to give you a little thing about gravity too. Jesus walked down water. So the miraculous, if we're going to believe in the miraculous, even the good stuff, even the necessary stuff has to be questioned every now and then if we're going to see the miraculous in our life. Even that stuff that everybody knows. It's a law of the universe. Yeah? All right. What does that mean to God? He created the universe. He wrote the law. Right. So if he wants to break that, then he can break it. And if we're not open to that, if in our minds we have made that leap and we've said it can't be, it can't be, no way, we're not going to experience that. We just won't. You see clouds rolling in. Dark clouds, you hear thunder in the distance. And in your mind, every time you've seen that happen, what happens? Just about every time. You're going to have a storm. What about the day when you don't make that leap? What about that day? And you say, no storm today. What about that? Is there room enough in your mind, room enough in your heart, room enough in your spirit to lay that aside and to believe God can do the miraculous today? See, the whole world is Goliath. All right, that's the whole world. That's where it is. We don't have to be that way. We can accept that there's exceptions. We can put ourselves in a position where we don't, we're not so dogmatic about something. It's got to be this way to really look at it and say, maybe it's something else. And I want to be open to that. God's going to speak. Well, how is he going to speak? I don't know. What's he going to say? No idea. What if he says something I don't want to hear? That does happen. That does happen sometimes. Not to dismiss that because it's just not what we wanted to hear. It didn't meet our expectation. Not to dismiss. Right. I had someone send me a word for the time of prayer and fasting. And it was a word that I just didn't want to hear. And I sat on that word for two or three days. Then I sent it on to be included in what we're doing. I don't know how it's included. I don't know where it's included because I didn't I didn't participate in that part of what we're doing. But it did go through me. And it would have been easy to just delete it. Because there's a little button on my email where I can just delete stuff. <laughs> And never think about it again. <laughs> we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. So if pride comes through our expectations and our presumptions, maybe we need to, to back it up to those kind of things in our life. I just talked about some of those inductive leaps, some of those presumptions that we make, some of those expectations. we got to have holes in that, don't we? We need some holes in those things in order to allow for the supernatural. We need some spaces in those things to allow for the unexpected, for the miraculous. 
You know, if there's no holes in those, if there's no spaces in those, we're not going to see it. Well, what if God doesn't fill that space? So what? So what? Okay, it rained. Whatever. All right. Uh, I prayed for that sick person. You know, God heals sometimes. He does. God heals. I prayed for that sick person. They didn't get well immediately. Well, they're probably no sicker. So what? You left a space there. You left a hole there that God could fill with the miraculous and the supernatural. So what? And in and, and applying our faith into that and letting our faith roll into those spaces and in those spots and in those opportunities and those moments and stuff. I mean, that that's what we're here for. If God just calls us to be like Goliath, like we're the big church Goliath, well, this is the way it's always been done. This person doesn't look like me, doesn't sound like me, doesn't do stuff like I do, so we're going to dismiss him because that's just stupid. Well, yeah, wasn't that the Pharisees with Jesus? Yeah. Of course course big church goliath yeah most of them are even big <laughs> too you know i mean it's like big church goliath so so we're we're, we're kind of lumbering around and, and and as people instead of flowing in that stream of the spirit that god wants us in and you know it's easy to lumber around when you're big You got to try not to lumber. <laughs> you do. <laughs> I kind of just scurry. <laughs> well, but but what I'm saying is, it's so it's just it's a mentality too, isn't it? And I think if we can break the mentality, I think if we can break the Goliath mentality, break the the stuff that 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 really is keeping us so rigid, we put ourselves in a position not to live in pride. You know, those of us that, that know things, like that have been around for a while, that maybe know a trade or something. You know, I just had an example of this the other day. I was wiring something up, and it, it took me like less than an hour to get it right where I wanted it to be. I was about to finish it up and end it. I'd have been done in an hour. And I, I took out the, the receptacle thing that I was wiring in, and I looked at it, and I looked at the wires that I had in the wall, and I looked at the thing in my hand, and there was one too many wires for the number of terminals on the thing that I had in my hand. Now, I've been wiring stuff for a long time. I've been doing this for a long time. I had every expectation I was going to be done right then. You know why? Because I've been done like that for many, many times. I've done it so many times, I really don't have to think about it. Well, I had to think about it. And so I looked at it. I looked at the wires. Looked at it again, scratched my head a little bit, right? I'm going to have to go look this up somewhere. And so I, I just packed everything up, left it, and left. But it reminded me, it reminded me of all these verses, right? It just reminded me. 
There's been times when I've been on a call for the fire department doing EMT stuff, and I see a patient with symptoms. And you know the, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I've seen these symptoms so many times. And so in my brain, I make a certain leap because I've seen them so many times. But a lot of times, if I do that, and I've had to train myself not to be so quick to do that, I will miss something else that I should see because everything else lined up. And then it's not just me packing up my stuff with my electrical gear and going home. It's somebody else's health. It's somebody else's well-being that's being affected by that. So in our spiritual lives, we kind of have that responsibility over each other too. Oh, it's so-and-so. It's what they're doing again. Maybe. Maybe you should take some time to listen and really see. Because you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss the opportunity. You don't want to miss the moment. You don't want to miss the opportunity to, to pray into something or to believe God over something or a moment of breakthrough in that person's life. And maybe they hadn't been at that moment before, but they are today, and you know that because you actually listened to them today. Or situations that you're going to find yourself in. People that you're going to meet. Moments that God's going to set you in in somebody's life. You know, I don't care what it is. You go into traffic court? I've been to traffic court five or six times. All right. Maybe there would be a person there that really needs to hear from God. Maybe there's a reason why you're going to traffic court and you don't know what that reason is yet. Leave that little space there for that. Maybe there's a reason that you're heading to the grocery store right now. Leave a little blank space there. Let's see. There might be a reason for that. Maybe there's a reason so-and-so is calling you and asking you for something. Maybe. Maybe there's a bigger reason than just trying to get you to help them do something. Maybe you need to leave a little space for that to see what God might say or what God might do in there. And I, and I just want to kind of leave this at this point. Don't be Goliath. Don't be that rigid. Because when we become that rigid, when we know it, and it's all just, wow, that's the way it is, and you know, look at this. I've seen this before. I've seen that before. Or whatever. We're in real danger. We're in real danger. I shouldn't have said you knew what I was talking about. Because maybe you never do that. <laughs> yeah. I. But you know what? I've known enough people in the field that I think that's kind of a... Yeah. I yeah, I just shouldn't have done it in front of everybody. <laughs> so uh yeah. All right. Anybody have any questions or comments? Anything but he wrote a book called Bigger Life, but when you make assumptions like that, somehow you pretty much limit yourself, your future, your success, what's going to happen, the outcome, and he breaks down all Goliath's assumptions mm. about all of it. 
You know, he didn't expect a boy. He didn't expect this man on the sticks. He was played completely off guard. And it was just to his advantage. Right. Like a lot of times. Like, and then he tells a bunch of stories about all the things that we think limit us or that we think are false or that we believe to be a problem. They're actually in our favor because the world is the Goliath. Mm. And that right. we can change our minds about and leave room and actually seek it out as an advantage. Right. That was kind of thinking about the like, like being rigid. He was rigid and strong from he didn't get broken because or the tree can be like a palm tree when it hurt a palm tree can stand hurt. Right. Because they bend. Right? So they bend and they flow with it. And there's that like allowance of the wind, right? Mm-hmm. The oak tree doesn't and the oak tree's losing branches and limbs and Maybe it's getting uprooted or whatever, but palm tree makes it more rigid. Right. Kind of closes down. Yeah, and the weirdest thing, I, I'm not going to get into this too much, but a, a couple of years ago, probably three years ago, uh, and this is going to sound funny, but God really spoke to me about my health. And one of the things he spoke to me about my health was being more flexible. Now, I understand being flexible spiritually. I understand being flexible emotionally. I understand being flexible in a lot of different ways. But one of the ways he spoke to me is being more physically flexible. And and, I, and the more I read up on that and the more that I, I looked into it, the stronger you are. The more flexible you are. And I never thought of it that way. It was not in my way of thinking about strength like physical strength that we were stronger when we were more flexible because normally i think of flexible people as not being stronger in my brain but if you think about most of the guys that are like um like bodybuilders or or power lifters and stuff like that and they're not very flexible most of them you know they're like kind of hulking and you know they move and and not graceful ways, a lot of them, and and how some of that has been changing over the last number of years, and flexibility has become more and more important, even physical flexibility. So, so uh, I really felt like God taught me something through that. And and uh, you start thinking about people like gymnasts. Mm-hmm. Gymnasts are really strong. I mean, really, really strong. And they're super flexible. And there's some in high school that are not running against the playbook. Well, right. I mean, and I know, and I mean, they are. They're really strong and flexible and less likely in some ways to be injured than others. Yeah. So flexibility, I think, all the way down through. I think physical, emotional, spiritual, I think all the way down through our being. And even in nature, like you're saying, I think is an important quality. I'm, I'm really seeing that recently emotionally. Mm-hmm. With a lot of things that I'm going through with you know, my relationship. And um, I, I go to counseling earlier on Mondays. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that 
I haven't come up with that word, but as we're discussing things, that's one of the things that's coming up. It can be termed as emotional flexibility. Mm-hmm. When a person doesn't have that, how like hard they can fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then expectations too. Mm-hmm. We load up expectations, and they can be bad expectations too. Mm-hmm. And even when those bad expectations don't come true, the person doesn't beat you when you're angry, that that can have a bad effect on you too because you expected that. Now you don't know what to do. You don't know how to handle the situation. You fall apart. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's any advantage. No, none. There's no advantage to being Goliath. In any part of us, none. Unless you want to become fertilizer. Well, yeah. I mean, that's uh, no advantage to us, though. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. And uh, thanks for some of the insight. I didn't know that. I didn't. I don't know that book by Malcolm Gladwell. I think of him as like, he's like the tipping point guy or something. Yeah. I think of him that way. I, I don't What's know. the author's name again? Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just, again, your love for us. And I pray that we'd be able to take to heart what you're saying. I ask God that you would help us and uh, assist us in stretching and becoming more flexible, uh, leaving spaces in our lives for you to move, leaving spaces in our the way we see things and our worldview for you to move, leaving uh, just some some space around us, God, for the miraculous or the unexpected. But God, I pray that uh, we would be a people who are flexible, who are open to what you want to say, what you want to do, when you want to do it. And I ask you, God, that we uh, would would really question some of our presumptions, some of our inductive leaps that we would at least have a question mark in our mind when we're making those leaps and we're really making those assumptions. God, we want to flow with you. We don't want to just trudge along through life. We don't want to just bully our way through. But God, we want to flow. And I pray that you will teach us to flow with your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, good to see everybody.